The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's your host, Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity FM Radio. I am your host, Lonnie Vanderslice, and with me today is my co-host, Reverend Dan Beckett. And together, we talk about ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth during your spiritual journey, your recovery journey. And so today's show is an interactive discussion, and if you're listening live, you can call in in the second half with your comments and questions. So you might want to make a note of this number. It's 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. So how many times have we found ourselves doing the same things over and over and over again, but expecting different results? Some call this the definition of insanity, but this pattern is driven by thought habits, the habits of thinking that we've formed in childhood and many times as a survival mechanism. We enter recovery and we learn a new way of thinking and being in the world, and yet the same old thought habits can drive us crazy. So, Dan, have you ever had any trouble with anything like this? (laughs) Uh, not, Not in the last 20 minutes, but yes, in general. Um, I certainly remember uh, in early recovery it being front and center. You know, when we first enter recovery, of course, we lose our primary coping mechanism, which uh, for me kind of, you know, left me with a whole lot of mental bandwidth um, that my brain seemed to be perfectly happy to occupy with all kinds of things. And those things, I found inevitably were old patterns of thought, you know, some helpful, some not so helpful, and some, uh, honestly, I think really um, detrimental to my ongoing sobriety. So I've, I've experienced that a lot in the past. I have learned some spiritual principles that are related that have helped me uh, to move through it, specifically, of course, the power of strength, which we'll focus on today. Uh, learn how to apply that to my situation and um, how to discover really new levels of freedom in my mind, which quickly uh, branched out to um, new levels of happiness and joy in my life in general. Well, you know, that that was a pretty long journey for me. I had been called stubborn a good part of my life. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I can remember being as a kid, 
being motivated by somebody telling me, don't do that. <laughs> you know, it was kind of like, if you want me to accomplish something, just tell me I can't. Tell me I, you know, not to do that. And it was like a challenge for me. And it's like I would try and try and try until I would oftentimes accomplish the goal, whatever that was. And I realized later when I was dealing with um, these these thought patterns that we're talking about, this repeating the same thought over and over, the same behavior over and over, that it was a similar pattern that I just kept trying. If I just know better, you know, if I just work harder, if I just learn a little more, if I just come at it from a different angle, I can make this work. And of course, that's one of the things that consumed me in my addiction was the, the, that thought pattern that, well, maybe this time it'll be different. I'll just, I'll just, I know, I'll try the newest, whatever brand of something that's out there. I'll, <laughs> You know, I've never heard of that one before. Maybe it'll be different. And um, nothing was ever different. Yes. And those those patterns in my experience, uh, some of them I can be more aware of. And some of them are, I'm kind of on an autopilot. You know, I'm, I'm not even really aware uh, of the patterns that are in play. Certainly more so in the past and less so now. Though I, I cannot claim to, I uh, cannot claim perfection in um, mastery over my thought patterns, but certainly uh, have come a, a tremendous way over the years in my recovery um, and learned tools, spiritual tools, uh, specifically in unity, that have helped me to um, balance. I always think of it in terms of balance, to balance what are really skills. I mean, uh, you know, the ability to turn something over in, in my mind and look at it from all different angles and look for holes in it and flaws and opportunities. Uh, that's a skill. Mm. Yet, if I'm doing it um, habitually and I'm not really choosing to do it and it's creating anxiety in me or feeding anxiety or, or trouble in me, then, then that's a skill that I'm not really using very well um, although it, it is really still a skill. I try to, to remember that about it, but yeah, that thing about, um, you know, the, uh, taking a drink certainly solved the problem before. So let me do that again and see if that'll happen again. And it's like, oh, well, two didn't take care of it. Well, three's better. That's, uh, that's one of my, um, identified patterns. And, and I met well imagine this is kind of, uh, an addiction thought pattern in general is, if one's good, two's better. Well, you know, they say that old joke, you know, how much is enough? And the answer, <laughs> anybody that has an addiction, the answer is more. Right. <laughs> how much is enough? More. So um, I was thinking while you were sharing that, you know, there's, there's our society kind of supports this type of thinking, you yes. know, with the, the don't quit uh, keep going. You can do it. Try harder. Um, and some of it is used to shame people into um, better performance, if you will, or whatever. But for me, that became an ingrained mode of being. I can't quit no matter. And I'm not talking about drinking or drugging. I'm talking about I can't stop whatever it is that I believe is the right course of action. I am driven. And of course, that's part of the personality pieces that uh, surface with addiction is the obsessiveness and the compulsiveness. Whatever I'm obsessing about is what I'm going to compulsively follow or chase. And so um, I tell people, I share today that I believe that we have this awesome ability to focus 
it's called obsession in some yes. circles. <laughs> yes. But, but our mind grabs something and it hangs on to it. Mine does anyway. And I have a really hard time letting loose of it, which, of course, we'll talk about on another show on another day. Um, but the, but this ability, I think, um, we're born with. You know, it's it's one of those attributes that can be used for our benefit or can be detrimental to our, our lives uh, either way. But it's it's two sides of the same coin. Absolutely. And, and that's been my experience as well, that uh, these patterns of thought that I developed. And as, as you said uh, earlier in the intro, as really um, coping mechanisms, you know, they they were good and necessary at a certain point in my life, probably early in childhood. Uh, so, for example, that um, thought pattern that I might carry that is looking for anything that could go wrong, right? Just I need to figure out everything that could go wrong so that I can be prepared for anything that might go wrong so that I can be okay in the world, whatever it might be. And so that, uh, you know, driven by that fear of encountering something that I didn't think of, that I don't like, that I don't want to be experiencing, um, you know, that that drove that uh, pattern of analysis or, you know, what became over-analysis. It, it moved, uh, as you say, there are uh, healthy and unhealthy ways to do this move definitely out of the realm of healthy into these unhealthy um, patterns of thought, some that I recognized and some that I was really subject to and, and did not recognize um, that while at their core, uh, you know, there are good aspects to them, the way that I was using them and experiencing them was uh, working against my health and my wholeness. I'm hard-pressed to think of many times where this does not come into play. You know, and, and like I was mentioning earlier, culturally it's reinforced, uh, finish your dinner, you know, clean your plate, don't stop doing whatever you're doing. Um, you know, and, and those are just little examples of that. But, um, you know, I, I incorporated these thought patterns by observation in my life as well. For example, one relationship after the other. I kept doing it the way I thought or learned from my environment was the proper way to do a relationship. That one didn't work. Let's try again. That one didn't work. Let's try again. Over and over and over again. And all the time, uh, rearranging the outsides, if you will, well, this person needed more education. Well, that one needed more experience or this one, you know, whatever. Um, some external criteria as opposed to, you know, I, I kept changing the outsides, trying to make something fit, not realizing that I was stuck on an idea that didn't work. And the idea was my definition of a relationship. Yeah, so that um, hearing that, uh, tendency, which I certainly had, uh, I, I, I like to think I have it less so now, but to look for the source of the problem in someone or something else, you know, outside of me. So you know, your example with the relationship. So the problem here is that that person, you know, does things like this and that's not right. And that's the problem, um, which of course, very effectively will mask whatever my part is in it. And there's always 
uh, a part that I I play in any in any dynamic. And that point you're making about don't quit, that's certainly um, part of our um, American work ethic is that, you know, you don't give up, don't stop. But I said, well, what if what I'm doing is banging my head against the wall? Maybe I should quit doing that. I mean, quitting is, is neither good nor bad. It, of course, it, it entirely depends on, on what the context is. You know, that reminds me of I was in uh, college and I had decided that I was going to play basketball because I did so in high school. I'm tall enough and I was fairly decent shot at that point. And I got to college and I um, got on the basketball court with girls that were uh, two and three and four inches taller than me and outweighed me by 50 pounds. Mm. And when they bumped me, I went across the court like, you know, a leaf in the wind. (laughs) I kept trying to keep up. I kept trying to do that. You know, I lacked this ability for discernment because I was operating out of the keep going, keep going, keep trying. You get, you're doing something wrong. You, you know, if only you get better at this, you can make this work. And uh, so I can recognize that thought pattern even back then. It had nothing to do with the addiction pieces, but it was a pattern that was ingrained in my brain about um, the way to approach life. Yeah, and, and that pattern can obviously have some real downsides, including, and this just occurred to me as you were speaking, the inevitable conclusion that it's my fault, Yes. right? I'm not good enough. There's something inherent about me that I don't have that skill or I'm not willing to work hard enough or in some way or other that it's my fault. And in fact, uh, there are many circumstances where the, the truth may be that that's just not my thing. You know, there's nothing wrong with uh, not being good at everything. You know, we want to look, of course, for our strengths and then apply our strengths in life. But that doesn't mean that everything that I would like to do, um, I must be, you know, able to at a high level. Kind of like your example, moving from high school to college. You know, it's a whole different ball game, literally, uh, in college than it is in high school. And I imagine from college to the pros as well. And there's nothing wrong with being good at something in one place and then finding, oh, uh, this is a very different environment. This is not really my thing anymore. But that tendency to conclude there's something wrong with me. I mean, that's the other side of that coin. There's something wrong with you. The other piece of that, that very same voice that says the problem is them. This is what they should be doing. Turns right around and says the same thing to me. That is absolutely right. I have that same voice (laughs) listening to my mail. So, um, you know, something that occurred to me while you were sharing is that my inability at that point to discern whether I'm banging my head against the wall or whether I need to put just one more try Mm. on it is, um, I think, part of the problem because uh, that was part of what kept me stuck for so long. Now, whether that was with um, the addiction or whether that was just in life in general, my whole approach was to try one more time, try one more time. And so um, it didn't matter what I picked, it it's the pattern that repeated itself. My go-to autopilot that you were mentioning earlier is try one more time, just give it one more shot. And, um, and that literally 
uh, nearly killed me more than one occasion because I just I have this survival skill, well-developed power of strength, the ability to hold on, the ability to persevere, the ability to keep going. Don't tell me I can't. And and with that uh, attitude of a two-year-old, you know, no, don't tell me I can't. I am going to see it happen. And so even today, I have to be aware of that tendency in me and sometimes get an outside um, checkpoint to say, is this enough? Have I put in all the effort that a reasonable person would, or am I allowing my obsessiveness to drive it off the cliff? Yeah, sometimes I have to go find a reasonable person to ask that <laughs> question of. Now, fortunately, um, and this is a dynamic I've seen a lot, uh, you know, any one of us at any moment can, is perfectly reasonable. It's It's a lot easier to be reasonable when we're you know, hearing someone else's situation, story, or, or uh, um, you know, set of actions than it is to look at it ourselves. You know, it's much harder to ask ourselves that question, is this reasonable? Should I try harder? Have I already crossed the line and I need to try something new? That's the beauty, of course, of the community and of the fellowship is that I have a lot of people that I could choose to run things by and ask, you know, here's what's going on. Here's what I've been trying. What do you think? I was thinking I should try harder. You know, what does it look like to you? And, and again, I don't have to take what one person says as the gospel truth. I can ask three or four people and just begin to get a sense, you know, get some perspective outside of it. I think that's a good point. And I realized something um, after I was working on this for a while. Um, I was working on holding on only to the thoughts that I wanted to that produced good results for me, you know, uh, to bring more happiness and, and uh, peace into my life, for example, and to push out the disturbing thoughts and, and the unhelpful thoughts. But one of the things that I learned is I kept uh, working on this was that every single time I had a point of pain in my life, I found that it was connected to an old idea. And what's significant about that to me is not that it's the idea that was wrong or needed to be changed. It was the fact that I was holding on to it, which is the power of strength. I applied yes. it to an error thought. I applied it to uh, something that was incongruent with the way my life was working. and and because it created all this friction and circumstances in my life, I got to a place of emotional pain. And so um, I had to learn to recognize if I'm in pain, oh, what old am I, idea am I holding on to? Um, and it might be an old idea about, I already mentioned about how relationships work. Or it might be an old idea that I should be able to do this, you know, something as simple like that. Or an idea um, I like this time, it'll be different. You know, when I when I get stuck in an addictive thinking pattern, and so one of the one of the things that I had to learn is to stop when I have that indicator, that point of pain, and ask myself, what old idea am I believing? It's not old because I'm still believing it, but what idea am I stuck on? Yes. What what is not what is not serving you? What is not serving higher levels of freedom and joy in your life that you are hanging on to? I've learned to um, ask myself, you know, what, what, what is the spiritual principle 
that's in play with whatever issue that I'm uh, confronted with or find myself facing. And again, that that's a question that uh, can be very helpful to ask of others on the spiritual path as well. But I think what we've been talking about here, and this is ironic, that the spiritual principle that's in play, the one that we would apply to uh, breaking out of old patterns of thought uh, is, in a sense, the very one that enforces those old patterns of thought. And that, of course, is the power of strength. I believe that the the spiritual power of strength is what is active uh, when we talk about um, not only what old patterns of thought are, but what can we do to... um, create new ways of being. Uh, I'd heard uh, a long time ago a phrase that I loved. It says, uh, the rut that I'm in had once been a groove. You know, I can turn a groove into a rut by sticking around too long, basically. But it's that, it's that power of strength that can also uh, lead me out of the destructive thought patterns that are keeping me sick and keeping me stuck. I think that's a great point because, you know, I know that depending on the word that's applied to it, if somebody calls me stubborn, I'm resistant (laughs) to it. But if somebody says that I'm persevering or tenacious, I like that word a lot better. And and so um, I find that that even nuances like that can color how I look at this power that I have, this ability that I have, this faculty of mind to to be able to use it in constructive ways. Absolutely. Uh, I, I like to joke that uh, I'm not lazy. I'm efficient. You know, take up, take the positive side of that. And there's a lot of truth in that. And there's absolutely a lot of truth that, well, what is the difference between being stubborn and being, you know, perseverant? Uh, nothing, except it depends on what it is that you're sticking to. You know, if you're sticking to something unhealthy, then maybe that's stubbornness. If you're sticking with something that is doing good in your life, maybe that's perseverance. It's it's two angles on the on the very same thing. You know, in some of the literature, I find um, I find reference to this. Uh, it doesn't call it out by name, but but one of the lines is, "If we're painstaking about this phase of our development." And that phrase alone says to me, I have to stick with it. I have to very carefully and and very pointedly work through all these details and not give up, you know, and and uh, in order to to accomplish the goals that I've set for myself. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd love that sentence if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. You know, we won't be mildly pleased. We'll be amazed, not at the end, but before we're halfway through. And I have found that absolutely to be the case. And that, and that word painstaking, uh, I think that does absolutely point at this spiritual principle of strength, because what does painstaking mean, but to, per- to persevere with care, you know, with effort in a mindful manner to persevere, to stick with it and not quit. And of course, uh, I'm reminded of that uh, saying that we hear in recovery circles that uh, don't quit before the miracle. I think that's a, a wonderful expression of the, of the power of strength in play, not in our uh, addiction, but in our recovery. 
Well, I think so. It it also references the age of miracles, but they did. It does not say what a miracle is, but it points us to the path to the miracle, and the path is perseverance and tenacity. You know, I think that the miracle is different for each of us um, because we all come through different doors. Some of us get improved health that we thought was um, impossible to have. Some of us, our relationships are restored. Um, some of us become useful, productive contributing citizens, some of us, all of it happens. And uh, hopefully for all of us, the release of the addiction, this mental uh, monkey mind, this uh, uh, hamster wheel that goes all the time obsessing about things is relieved. Yes. So we're talking about this spiritual power of strength, but what exactly is it? I mean, we we know that this power, uh, along with other abilities that we have, are inherent in in who we are. They are God-given, in a sense, a God-given power of mind. And uh, clearly they can be used in helpful and unhelpful ways. But strength uh, being that ability to persevere, to stay the course, to be deliberate in a conscious way, uh, of what we're doing is, I believe, what we're talking about when we use that word strength and, and when we call it a spiritual principle. I think that's what we're pointing at. Yes, and it's in in unity, it's uh, one of the 12 powers, and they don't work in isolation. You know, they, they work together, and so it's, it's a little bit difficult um, to talk about just one of them, but they're, the, the theory, the theology around the whole 12 powers is that Everybody's born with them, and they're always in use all the time. We just are unconscious about how we're using them. Absolutely. And and so in some ways, they're kind of like a magnet. Whatever they got stuck to is the way that we use them until we become conscious and learn to direct them in more uh, helpful and and uh, positive ways in our life. Yeah, that I think that awareness is key, of course. Awareness of how any particular... Um, spiritual principle is how we are choosing to activate it, how it is showing up in our life. We we must, of course, become aware of it before we can have any chance of uh, turning it or shifting it to, into a more positive direction, a direction that can uh, help us experience new levels of freedom and happiness and joy in our lives. And yeah, it is hard to talk about any one of them in isolation. If I had to add one in this context of, uh, you know, dealing with uh, addressing um, old patterns of thought, I might add faith to it because, of course, faith is what tells me that if I apply strength in the right direction, that things will get better. Well, that's a great uh, thought to to go in to break on um, because we're just right at that time. So when we come back, we'll open the phone lines for callers and then we'll continue our conversation. And perhaps, Dan, we can start with talking a little bit about that. Uh, the number when we come back is 816-251-3555. Please stay with us. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. 
As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach around the world, we depend on the generosity of listeners like you. If you enjoy the programming, please make your donation today by going to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Catherine Ponder, taken from a classic talk called The Prosperous Truth, recorded at Unity of Austin in 1991. I heard from a young lady who was just starting out as a Unity minister, and she said, I am not teaching prosperity yet in my ministry because I have not yet demonstrated it in my own life. And I don't think I should teach what I have not demonstrated. And I wrote her back and said, Honey, you've got it all backwards. You need to teach what you want to learn. You teach what you want to demonstrate because you cannot demonstrate what you do not know. There must be an inworking before there can be an outworking. To find out more about Unity Teachings, visit unity.org. Discover Unity Village, and you'll find a peaceful oasis just 15 miles from downtown Kansas City, Missouri. If you're doing business in the area or looking for the perfect place for your retreat or conference, check out all that Unity Village has to offer. With 1,200 wooded acres, a beautiful nature trail, award-winning rose garden, golf course, and newly redesigned hotel and conference center, Unity Village has everything you need for that perfect event. Go to unityvillage.org to find out more. Did you know Unity has published a new book by Eric Butterworth? This wonderful writer and teacher, who is loved by so many people, left a recorded class called Practical Metaphysics that has now been turned into a book. It's Vintage Butterworth. He explains how to live from a deeper state of consciousness and awaken to health, love, prosperity, and peace of mind. Practical Metaphysics. Find it online by going to unity.org and click Shop. Get ready to stretch your thinking and question your beliefs. Tune into Metaphysical Romp with Reverend Paul Hasselbeck every Monday at 10 a.m. Central on Unity Online Radio. Paul, along with his co-hosts, Reverends Bill and Cher Holton, will challenge your thinking and inspire you to open your mind and look outside the box. Discover Unity's spiritual laws and take a deep dive into the world of metaphysics and apply life-changing concepts today. Tune in Mondays at 10 Central on Unity Online Radio. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice. If you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here with Reverend Dan Beckett. And we're going to resume our discussion in just a few moments. But first, we want to let you know that we're opening the phone lines for callers. So if you have a question or a comment that you'd like to share, please give us a call at 816-255-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. And so if you're just joining us at this point, we've been talking about the power of strength or this ability to get stuck in a certain mindset uh, and then what, what that translates to in terms of um, 
in terms of a spiritual gift that we've been given. And so, Dan, we were speaking just as we left about how these attributes work uh, in concert with one another, but uh, how exactly does the power of strength, um, how do you apply that to solve a problem? Yeah, my mind, all, I always want to know, uh, you know, that's nice, that's a nice idea, but what do I do? You know, are there, are, can you give me some numbered steps? Give me something here, because especially if I'm struggling, uh, as I was in early recovery, um, it's really helpful to have some very simple uh, steps to take. And I think that that's uh, something that we can share here is, you know, how, how does one apply the, the principle or, or the ability of strength to this issue of um, old, unhelpful patterns of thought. And I know that one way that I was able to do it early on, and this is, you know, uh, under the, the heading of learn a new strategy. Okay, if I can learn a new strategy, then I have something to hold on to that I can apply. And one strategy that I learned, and it, and it sounds so simple, um, but I found it to be profoundly helpful, is to simply, as we say, suit up and show up. Okay, that was a new strategy for me. I am going to go to a meeting on this day at this time. That's what I'm doing, whether I feel like it or not. I've been told, uh, especially if you don't feel like it, that's the time to go. So by simply adopting that strategy of suit up and show up, um, I, I get myself in an environment where I'm open to hearing other strategies that might help, other ways to apply the power of strength in my recovery. It, it allows me to um, you know, move out of that uh, deadly isolation that can take over, certainly uh, was a habit of mine. And it uh, helps me to move into a community where I realize I'm not the only one who's walking this path. I'm not the only one that's ever had these challenges. I can meet and talk to and hear from people who have been where I am and who have made it through. Maybe they have something to offer that would be helpful to me. So just by applying that new strategy of uh, showing up um, is one way that I was able to use the power of strength. Okay, so perseverance, I do it regardless. Um, to persevere and put myself in an environment where all kinds of wonderful, helpful things can come up for me. For me, I found that um, I had to have blind faith to start with. I had to be willing to do what I was told to do because um, the way the way I think about things is I want to know why and then I want to analyze if it's going to work and then I want to figure out if there's an angle to it and if I can get by with it and, you know, things like that. And so for me, um, being just willing to do what I was told meant that, and these all required exercise of the power of strength, go to 90 meetings in 90 days, yes. um, take a service job, show up no matter how you feel and do do the job, Call call somebody every single day just to check in. You know, these were all things, you know, even even at that stage, learning to pray uh, on a daily basis. I had a checklist so that I could go down my checklist and say, yep, I did that. Yep, I did that. Yep, I did that. Because I was not in a place um, mentally to 
remember. And so I, I have to be aware of, of how, I'm, um, how I'm showing up, if you will, in those areas to know if I even am applying the power of strength or not. Um, it was only when I started using a checklist that I go, oh, I've been missing that an awful lot of times. I mean, I would tell you that I took my medicine every day, but when I looked at my checklist, I noticed that I missed, you know, three out of five days. And my mind was like that for other things as well. So um, I had to have some tracking mechanisms to, to get me on track to be able to develop the application of the power of strength in a way that was helpful to me. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that almost cliche advice in, in, the, uh, in the recovery circles to make the coffee, you know, just be, that, just be the one to make the coffee. Show up early, do something helpful. Uh, make the coffee. I had a friend who uh, in life had, um, you know, moved at pretty high levels. And, and she said, I don't make coffee. People make coffee for me. That's how she had come in. And so that was a particularly powerful practice for her to make the coffee for other people. And yeah, I love what you're saying about we we learn some new strategies from others, from our sponsor maybe just some something we heard in a meeting somewhere. And then we uh, use that power of strength to um, be diligent about doing those things each day. You know, even if they don't make sense, even if they don't feel like they're helping, I have found, um, they're helpful in ways that I can't always see. Again, just like suiting up and showing up at a meeting. You know, I went every day um, for the first year uh, and and that was an important um, new habit for me, a per, an important new strategy that I was uh, willing to apply diligently uh, and just to show up, you know, whether I wanted to or not, whether I knew what the meeting was about or not, whether I felt like I had anything to say or not, it didn't matter. Uh, what mattered was just showing up. And so using that, um, you know, that diligent aspect of faith was able to help me to do that. I also did things like, um, and this, this I used to feel almost guilty about, like, like it wasn't a good strategy, but I disagree with that now. I feel that it, it was very helpful to me at the time. And that was, I would play games on my phone almost obsessively because that would give me something to focus on that was not spinning a problem out of control that was not, you know, exercising an old unhealthy pattern of thought. It was my mind, I realized, is sort of like a puppy. And if I don't want the puppy to chew on the furniture, then I need to give the puppy something fun to chew on. And for me, I had to give my mind, you know, uh, crossword puzzles or word games or Sudoku or whatever it might be um, to help me through. And I found that to be uh, very supportive, um, even though at the time I felt guilty about it, like I shouldn't be doing, I should be doing something better. Uh, you know, I should be doing something more important than this. And, and no, I, I don't think that's true. I think I was doing exactly the right thing, which was giving my mind something different to do that's not unhealthy like, you know, chasing down uh, a problem or, or looking for everything that could go wrong in a situation. You know, for me, um, I had the same kind of situation where I, my mind, you know, they say that you have 60 to 70,000 thoughts per day. 
Um, I don't know who counted them, but <laughs> but you know that's a lot of thoughts, and that if we catch just a few of them that we're having this thought. Uh, and become aware that just a few times a day it, that it'll change our life dramatically. And that was what's happened to me. I recognized, I realized that I had thoughts like, oh, I'm bored, or oh, this doesn't feel good, or I feel antsy, and that I had to do something different. And I didn't recognize it for a while. And and what I did different is I'd I'd go, oh, I know, I'll go shopping. Well, that lasts until the money runs out and the credit cards are maxed. And then it's, oh, I need a new relationship. And then it's, oh, I need a, I need a new car. And, you know, it was a rotating of this obsessive focus. And so one of mine that I landed on that was much less destructive than any of the previous ones I mentioned it was video games. And yes. it was the same thing that it gave, it engaged my mind in a way that I was not self-destructing. Yes. Keep that puppy from chewing on the furniture. That's, yes. how, I, that's how it was for me. Uh, absolutely. And, um, even those things that you mentioned, I mean, I know that what was good for me early in recovery is not necessarily what's good for me now. So, um, you know, playing video games obsessively, I would have called that at the time, you know, years ago that that was, let's just call it relatively healthy because taking a drink, that's what's ultimately unhealthy. Anything other than that is a step up. Uh, but of course, as we grow and develop, um, spiritually and, and mentally and, uh, even physically as our body changes, what used to be okay, um, needs to be replaced over time with something that maybe is even a step up from that. Also, although I might, uh, still play games on my phone or, or on the TV or whatever at home, um, I don't do it obsessively and compulsively kind of as a replacement for a previous addiction, um, I try to be mindful of uh, when I'm doing that. You know, is it enjoyable? Am I actually having fun? If I'm not having fun, maybe I need to stop and see what's going on, and maybe I need to do something different. You know, I uh, was reminded that for me, the switch came when I learned to use internal mechanisms to address my thinking patterns instead of external mechanisms. Instead of using external avoidance mechanisms, um, I, I learned to use the spiritual toolkit that I had been given. I learned to use um, prayer and meditation. In fact, I set off on a journey to, uh, I'd try anything anybody suggested, which requires the power of strength, perseverance. I'm going to figure out how to do this if it kills me. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I kept at it and kept at it and kept at it and kept at it. And, and so in that way, um, my obsession, instead of becoming externally focused now became internally focused. Yeah, I can see that. And, and of course I, I believe and, and know from personal experience as well that that's, that's the, the essential shift in recovery is moving from looking for, uh, solutions and causes outside of ourselves to looking for solutions and causes within ourselves. An another uh, strategy that I learned uh, that was new in addition to suiting up and showing up was to um, read some recovery literature or spiritual literature of some kind. And so if, I, if I've found myself 
um, you know, in, in what felt like a bad space uh, emotionally. And um, so, you know, maybe rather than, than playing a, a video game uh, compulsively, which is okay, I might move to, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open, um, say, the big book at a random place, and I'm going to read two paragraphs, and then I'm going to call someone, maybe my sponsor, maybe a recovery friend, someone in recovery, I mean. I'm going to call someone, and I'm going to talk about what I read. And I might call them and complain about what I read because I don't like it. That's fine. Um, at least I'm engaged in some kind of recovery-oriented or spiritual-oriented uh, literature. So that was another um, new strategy that I uh, learned that I could then use my power of strength and apply that. It's like I'm going to pick up this book. I'm going to open it up. I'm going to read something, and I'm going to respond to it somehow or other, you know, preferably by talking with someone else in recovery. But it might just be an internal thing. Or I, I might, uh, you know, flip to another place and and read another thing, and I found that uh, doing that, um, developing that strategy, doing that as a habit, um, helped me to open doors again to um, more new ways of seeing and doing things. You know, how to uh, help me to discover new levels of of freedom and happiness and joy in my life. So, you know, the first thing it seems to me in this um, this path is awareness. For so many years, I was unaware of how I contributed to my own unhappiness and um, my own, you know, dysfunction. And so, you know, how does one become aware that we're trapped in an obsessive uh, thinking pattern and using the power of strength in this manner and it perpetuates that? You know, for me, I mentioned it earlier, it's when I have a point of pain. When I am in pain about something, I go, oh, wait, what's going on? And instead of looking outside of me, that's when I go, what idea am I holding on to here? What, you know, the power strength is attached like a magnet to something that's not working for me anymore. And I have to identify that, at least the way I process now, it seems like I have to identify that to understand what I want to replace it with. Yeah, and that I, I have found that awareness to be a little slippery sometimes because sometimes. And as you shared earlier, I need to do the new thing, even if I don't understand how this could possibly be helping me, you know, show up at a meeting, uh, make the coffee, um, uh, you know, read something from the big book or do a morning and an evening prayer or, or whatever it is that has been suggested probably by a sponsor, but maybe by um, someone else um, in recovery uh, to do those things, and I have found that by doing them, I become more aware of what's going on with my patterns of thought. I begin to better see um, these uh, destructive patterns of thought and how they are working within me, which is really, I'm doing it, but it's that shift from feeling like it's happening to me to realizing I am doing this, um, and that's what comes with that awareness. But um, my point is sometimes I've had to do the thing in order to get to a place where I could become aware rather than, I mean, I would always like to be aware first. I always want to understand how something's work, how something works. I don't want to do a thing if I don't get how it works, but I found sometimes I had to do a thing anyway. And by doing it, I could gain awareness and begin to understand how it works. 
You know, some of my awareness has come from other people. Uh, for example, uh, somebody said to me a, a while back, a few years ago, they said, are you aware that your first reaction is always no? And I did not have words around that, but I could notice that once this was pointed out, I could start listening, if you will, for my internal reaction when a suggestion was made or or some thought was put forward and my internal reaction is resistance. And I don't know why or where that comes from. It doesn't really matter because then at the point of awareness, just noticing that I'm having that uh, type of reaction, I could make a conscious choice whether to continue and react or whether I could do something different, make a different choice and respond in a different manner. And so, so many of my my awarenesses have come because of discussions with other people um, or at, you were talking about the meetings or perhaps uh, uh, prayer circles or whatever. I get a new idea that I go, oh, I wonder if I do that. I wonder if that's that's what's going on with me. And then I can just start noticing. I'm not really aware yet, I don't think. I'm just starting to notice that this, oh, there it is again. Yeah, I think that's another great example of the the power of the group. I mean, what I'm hearing underneath what you're saying is that you were showing up. You know, you were using your perseverance to show up at the place where other people in recovery are. You got a sponsor when it was suggested to get a sponsor so that that person could say things to you like you. Are you aware that, uh, you know, this happens? Are you aware of of that pattern? And it is, I mean, it. it I, I know for a fact that uh, while no one can do my inner work, my spiritual work for me, I absolutely cannot do it alone. You know, I need other people uh, who are walking the same path, whether that be specifically in recovery or whether it be more generally on a spiritual path. Uh, you know, I, I need others. And, and to do that, I need to show up where they are, which I, I keep I think I keep, that keeps coming back for me because that was very hard to do. You know, I was very uh, introverted and not inclined at all to go to a place where other people were. And I had that same thing, uh, particularly around if it involved my time or any other resources. Like, you know, do you want to go? And I already knew the answer was no <laughs> before I even heard where I want to go. You know, what I heard was, you know, do you want to go to a place where you've never been, where you don't know anyone, where you're not sure how long you'll be there? You're not sure if you'll have everything you need and you don't know if you can leave when you want to leave. That's what I heard. That was easy. No, I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. But, uh, you know, I slowly uh, developed that that uh, ability again, you know, that strength applying. I'm going to I'm going to show up and I'm going to be somewhat uncomfortable. The meeting's only an hour, and then it's over, and I can leave. I can do that. So two words come to mind with what you've just shared. One of them is discipline, which I'm thinking is probably another way of saying perseverance and and, uh, the power of strength, is that to do the same thing over and over and over again um, takes a disciplined approach, and it took me a while to apply the power of strength to a new spiritual practice or any new spiritual practice. It took practice to become Mm -hmm. habituated to doing this. And even then, I still have to apply it on a daily basis because it's so easy to just, if you miss a day, then you miss two days, and pretty soon it's fallen off the radar. Uh, So that's one word. The second one that you touched on that I think is incredibly important is motives. Um, 
your motive for going to the meeting was not because you were going to get something out of the meeting. The motive for going to the meeting was because either you were backed in a corner or you felt you had no other choice or you wanted to please the person that told you to do it or whatever. But the motive did not determine the outcome. Right. But, but with the p- power of strength, our motive can determine whether we're stuck to the right thing or not, whether we're holding on to the right idea or not. Um, and, and that's one of the things that I've, I've had to uh, pay closer attention to is – Am I holding on to this for the right reason? I, uh, from the outside, it looks the same. I can mm-hmm. give somebody a ride in the car, and it looks like I'm doing a good deed. But maybe I'm planning on calling in my chips with somebody and say, hey, you owe me one now. You know, those are two very different motives. You know, whether it's an altruistic motive to be helpful or whether it's a, I, I've got to, you know, stack up some favors here so I can call them in. Um, you know, and I've, I've had to look at things like that to say, why am I doing what I'm doing? Because I've, I've learned to apply this power of strength. I'm stuck on this. I'm going to do it if it kills me. I have learned to point it someplace. But now why am I doing that? Is it so I look good? <laughs> is it so I feel better? Is it so that I please somebody else? And of course, this is where codependency and other things start coming in. Yeah, I think that that's a great example of um, what you were talking about before about awareness and how awareness can does grow over time uh and and what i'm hearing there is your awareness of your motive um increases over time to the point where uh what i'm hearing is you got to where you could ask that question you know what 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 am, what is my motive in this situation whereas i know earlier for me like um going to a meeting my motive for going to a meeting is um i don't want to go back where i was before you know, I don't want to find myself um, back in an active addiction. That was enough of a motive for me to show up at a meeting. And then, of course, the the longer I do that, um, things change. I become aware of things within myself. My motive can shift. Um, but sometimes the motive is my sponsor told me to, and I don't want to have to tell him I didn't do it. You know, that that might be enough, especially at first you know, to get us going in a, in a healthy direction, but yeah, awareness of what is going on inside and and why am I doing what I'm doing? I think that that, um, certainly becomes front and center, maybe after some period of, of sobriety. Um, and it becomes, um, you know, a, a focus, I think for our ongoing work, you know, we're always in a questioning kind of cycle, and, and that is a, a deep and important question. Well, it talks in the literature also about expanding your spiritual life. Um, and I think that that's where that fits for me, because it seems like I, um, as I delve deeper underneath motives is belief systems. And why am I doing this? That's my motive. And well, the answer, because I believe blah, 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 I believe I have to do this to, to have what's mine in the world, or I believe I have to do this to be perceived as a good person, or I believe I, ha-. and so I'm stuck on a belief system. And each of these layers provide more um, material, if you will, <laughs> for my work. Uh, they provide, once I become aware of them, that that's the belief system that's driving yes. my that's driving my life and setting me up for these scenarios. And I go, how did I get here again? It's because yeah. my belief system underneath that 
And then I apply the power of strength to that belief system and now I'm stuck. And so, you know, my goal today is to apply that power of strength to the direction that I want to go and to choose what I want to believe. And so awareness is the biggest piece of that for me, to become aware of what is it that I'm believing. Yeah. What I'm hearing there, I think, is so incredibly important, is that when we apply our power of strength toward the things that we learn in recovery community that are uh, healthy and helpful to us, doors begin to open. And and a lot of that is uh, we become aware of things we weren't aware of before, but I wouldn't have become aware of it if I didn't, um, you know, show up or uh, uh, pick up the literature or pick up the phone or or do whatever the thing is that I applied my perseverance to. Um, and again, I'm reminded, don't quit before the miracle, you know. So what if I don't like picking up the phone and calling people? Well, what if my sponsor says it's important to do? And well, maybe at first that's all I need to know. And so I do it. You know, I persist in doing that, even if it's uncomfortable. And then doors begin to open. I become aware of many more things that are going on uh, within me. And then it becomes sort of this, you know, this positive growth spiral, upward spiral, if you will, um, that in many ways begins with strength. I think that's a great summary, Dan, and I really appreciate your participation today in helping us explore this idea. So thank you, listeners and callers, and thanks again, Dan, for the insights that you've shared. And if you'd like to, connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, to share your thoughts and feedback. And we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. Have a wonderful week. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth, and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcast.